Welcome, welcome. I'm sorry about the sound quality there. Um, just, to, just to clarify, lots 35 and 40 are withdrawn from tonight's sale. Uh, and to welcome everybody here. It's an incredibly full sale room. If you're bidding, do give me a shout. And uh, welcome to everybody joining us online, on Facebook, YouTube, Christie's.com. Welcome all over the world. It's going to be an exciting night. Thank you so much for joining us. If a piece of art created with AI is put to auction, then automatically people are going to react to it. It's like, uh, I would compare it to like a boxing match. Like uh, everything leads, leads up to this moment. And in this moment, in the next 10 minutes, everything is going to be, uh, to be decided. What's up? Welcome to Same Same But Tech, a podcast where we explain how technology is driving culture into the future, one analogy at a time. I'm Mohan, and today is all about computers called Picasso. We're talking about AI-generated art, also known as generative art. It's one of those words and terms if you know, you know, you know? Well, a lot of people don't know yet. And if that's you, don't worry, I got you. Basically, generative art is art that's created with computers. It's more complicated than that, but we'll get into all the details later. Today's story is about computers making art, but it's also about a big pot of money money that the computer made from the sweat and tears of its own browser? I, I don't know. It all sort of kicked off when a piece of generative art sold for nearly half a million bucks at a huge art auction. Can you imagine what it must feel like to have a computer paint you a picture that you can then turn around and sell for a fat sack of cash? It would feel pretty, pretty, pretty good. Right? Well, not necessarily. Imagine if your seemingly biggest ever creative achievement as an artist actually left you feeling, well, terrible. Let me introduce you to Hugo. Okay, so I'm uh, Hugo Casel Dupré. I'm uh, 27 years old. Hugo's a PhD student. He's French. And he and his friends, Gautier Vernier and Pierre Fatrel, are better known as an art collective called Obvious. In 2018, Hugo and his pals did something not so obvious. They used artificial intelligence to generate a piece of art that became the first ever to be auctioned at Christie's, one of the most prestigious and venerated auction houses in the entire world. Not only that, their piece of generative art sold for almost half a million dollars. And if you're a stalwart member of the art collector community raising your eyebrows right now, I wouldn't blame you. The move was bold at the time, both reviled as sacrilege and revered as revolutionary. Even the creators questioned their own artistic integrity. And to better understand why, well, we gotta go back to the beginning. Okay, imagine a flashback, slow dissolve, here we go. <laughs> okay, 
not so long ago in a galaxy not so far away, and also known as Paris, three best buds named Hugo, Pierre, and Gautier were wrapping up their college studies when they felt a higher calling to do something different with their lives. Something that had a bit more je ne sais pas. I uh, co-founded Obvious with uh, two of my uh, childhood friends, and we always wanted to do uh, something creative together. And uh, basically they did uh, uh, business schools. Then I uh, be, uh, began studying uh, artificial intelligence in 2013, and uh, I really became in love with it. So we were at the end of our studies, and so basically we had the choice to either try to find a job and uh, do something uh, pretty regular, I would say, or trying something out. But we were too lazy to do something like a startup or creating a company. We really wanted to do something creative. Hugo and his pals put their heads down for a minute and came across a type of algorithm that got those creative juices flowing. The specific model they found could take a huge set of photos of real people's faces and process them somehow and then spit out photorealistic fake faces. Well, hello there. This got them excited. After all, they wanted to create a whole new aesthetic. Maybe this is a new way to think about art. I mean, what is an entirely new category of art if not creative? Like, uh, what it is to be an artist? Uh, are, we are we really going to do that? Because we don't have like any proper art background, even though we are really, uh, uh, we consider ourselves a creative people. So for us, it was like a big question. Like, uh, can we consider ourselves of, uh, as artists if we, if, we, uh, if we get into that? What are the consequences, the, the consequences of using AI to create art? All right, let's consider those consequences. Are we talking about a machine wearing a beret and doing watercolor? Alexa, draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> Start on this line of thinking and you could quickly go down this long mirrored corridor of dozen artists have to think for himself, herself, or itself to create art. Does the artist need to feel at all? If a human artist gets help from a machine, who is the artist? The artist, the programmer, or the machine? Anyways, you get the idea. This is all happening now, and it's called generative art. Generative art refers to a process of two autonomous computer systems teaming up and talking to each other to eventually make original art. Wow! I know, it blew my mind, too, when I first heard about this. And I wanted to know how does it work? Like, what makes this tech tick? Well, like all of our episodes, we go to an analogy. Hugo, tee us up with that sweet, sweet analogy. Yeah. So generative art using AI is just like using photography in the, in the 1850s where for art, when uh, the camera was invented, uh, so some people tried to use the camera in order to do art. And so the reaction were very mixed about that. And uh, some people said that photography was not going to be art and that it was uh, reserved for uh, high qualified engineers, that the results were blurry and things like that. It makes sense. Technology is a naturally disrupting force. 
But with that disruption often comes a certain level of uneasiness. It's always a bit baffling to see when machines find ways to do things that are human. I mean, we've got a lot of opinions about what is or isn't considered art. A banana duct taped to a canvas? Art? Definitely. Urinal on a wall? Yeah, I think that's art. Your iPhone pic of your avocado toast and perfectly frothed oat milk latte? Uh, I mean, look, I'm not here to judge. That might be art. But back to computer-generated art. Let's dig into the ones and o's a little bit more. Generative art is uh, like a camera, except that uh, instead of capturing light, it uh, captures data. Here's Dr. Ahmed Al-Gamal to take us through it. He's a computer science professor and founder of the Art and Artificial Intelligence Lab at Rutgers University. So let me elaborate. Um, uh, suppose you want to take a photo of a bird uh, on a tree. You know how hard is it to zoom in to capture a bird on a tree, and, and it's very difficult. Instead, imagine you have a camera that you can feed it lots of images of birds and uh, it will just uh, generate a new image of a bird uh, for you, a novel image, not just a repetition of what you give it, but a novel image of a bird. Suppose the camera it can just tell it, give me an image of a bluebird with a yellow beak on a tree with a snow background, just write text and it will give me a picture of that. Over the years, artificial intelligence researchers have made a lot of progress using a technique called deep learning, which is what Ahmed is talking about here. Deep learning involves feeding a computer system with so many images that it learns to recognize recurring things. For example, a pedestrian who's about to cross a road. To make this work, programmers need to tell the machine exactly what's in the images. In that example, we would tell the computer, which of these million pictures contain a pedestrian that's crossing a road, and which ones don't. Once the computer learns to recognize things, it can help power all kinds of cool stuff. So if you think of that example, it could help a self-driving car know to stop when a pedestrian is crossing the road. But while deep learning can teach computers to recognize things, they haven't been great at teaching computers how to create new things. That is, until generative art came around. Since the beginning of AI, uh, some artists and scientists have been working on generating uh, images and art using AI. But all that earlier attempts were mainly uh, uh, involved a lot of coding and writing rules and, and writing detailed code. The new thing in, uh, in the last uh, five, six years was a breakthrough when a generative adversarial uh, network came around, uh, which are called uh, GANs. Hold up. Let's run that line back one more time. The new thing in, uh, in the last uh, five, six years was a breakthrough when a generative adversarial uh, network came around. A generative adversarial network. Now, what on earth is that? Yeah, GAN stands for Generative uh, Adversarial Network, which is basically the, the, the kind of AI um, machine that I just described. It has these two uh, component um, layers playing against each other in, in this game. That's why it's called adversarial, because it's an adversarial game between two competing uh, players. One of them will be called the generator, trying to uh, generate things from random. And the other one is called discriminator, which will be the judge 
which again start by learning that concept from scratch. But that one will have access to the images, so it will try to learn what's a flower and what's not a flower. And at equilibriums, these two networks will will really reach a point where they can generate uh, new images uh, of that concept. The goal of GANs is to give machines something that's similar to an imagination. Let me see if I can break that down for us. A GAN consists of a pair of networks, a generator and a discriminator. The way it works is similar to the back and forth between an art forger and an art detective, where the generator is constantly creating these fake paintings and then the discriminator is constantly trying to catch the counterfeits. So, it works like this. The generator spins up some Picasso and shows it to the discriminator. Hmm, fascinating. The discriminator then decides whether, yeah, this is a Picasso, or nah, homie, nice try, you're way off. (laughs) Nope. This process goes on over and over and over and over and over with the generator submitting many forgeries and the discriminator saying, nah, that's fake, many times until finally the generator gets so good that it actually fools the discriminator into believing that one of its forgeries are real. Now that's a brilliant moment. It means that the generator, which let me remind you, is just a computer not an artist, has taught itself to understand the underlying pattern in the paintings. And it can now create its own version of those paintings that pass for real. This sounds insane, but you know what's even more insane? That beyond being able to draw pretty pictures, this GAN system can be used to create music or even write books and stories. It means we don't need to teach computers the computers can start to teach themselves. It means computers can have imaginations, like artists. Suppose I give GAN all art uh, that I can land on, hundreds of thousands of images of art from the last 500 years. Uh, It will just repeat it by definition. Uh, How to push it to make something novel? How to push it to be creative? Basically, we uh, give the machine uh, lots of art from art history, uh, Western art history in particular, and uh, tell the machine about the styles of art. So this is called Renaissance, this is called Baroque, this is called uh, Impressionism, this is called Cubism, and so forth. And now we put the machine under two opposing forces. In one hand, it, it has to follow the aesthetics. Uh, it has given me something from the same distribution, like a typical GAN. Otherwise, it will be totally, can give me totally random things. Uh, so that will keep it in the realm of art. Uh, typical aesthetics. But on the other hand, if it starts generating something that the machine can tell what style is it, like if it it starts giving me another impressionist art or another uh, Baroque art or another Cubist art, it gets banalized. So now the machine has a dilemma. How can you create art that doesn't fit existing styles? Uh, So that's where we push the machine to create something new, something um, that doesn't replicate existing styles, but still follow the general aesthetics of art. Move over Dadaism, Cubism, and all your other preferred isms. The age of Ganism has arrived. Okay, let's get back to Hugo. 
So he and his buddies had decided to start a company that was focused on making AI-generated art using this GAN system. But they had little experience in the art world, much less the serious credibility of your typical auctioned artist. So how did you guys go from zero to Christie's auction house hero? Uh, at the beginning, yeah, the, the only idea was to create something cool and something that uh, people could talk about and relate to. And so auction was something that we, that we actually uh, thought of before, uh, before creating the work because we, 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 we visualized in our mind that if a work, if a piece of art created with AI is put to auction, then uh, automatically people are going to react to it and uh, give their own opinion on what it is to uh, create art with this type of tools. They started hacking away at trying to train their algorithm to generate a classical portrait. When you want to create uh, art with GANs, you just have to choose from the different uh, open source implementation that you have on the web and try to uh, come up uh, with, uh, with, with what you want to create with them. This might seem crazy, but the recipe for generative art is open source code which means that anybody can use it and it is absolutely free. That's what Hugo and his pals used after tweaking it a little. Since it was the, the first time we did this, took, it actually took us some time, like a few months. When you try a new algorithm, is it's not like a linear process. Yeah, You have to like, kind of try things out. So you have many types of parameters that you can tweak and uh, that will change the end results. We, we tried a different bunch of parameters, and once we were happy with the, with the, with the end results, we, we just uh, choose from what the GAN uh, offered us. I was handling the algorithmic part, and then with Pierre and Gauthier, we tried to come up with uh, ways of, uh, uh, of uh, finding a collector for our first work that could be interesting in our work. We, we did, uh, we launched uh, lots of emails and, uh, we actually met uh, lots of people in the art world because we didn't know anyone. We went to galleries. We went to uh, different shows. So, uh, we did our work. And in the end, we, uh, we, we met Nicolas Lejolasser. Nicolas is this mega well-known French art collector. And he's become something of an influencer in up and coming urban and digital art scenes. Recently, he collaborated on a street art gallery on a boat in the Seine River in Paris. And so this guy uh, thought that uh, our work was interesting and he acquired the, the first piece. And so by the time we sold our first piece, it was easier for us to, uh, to talk to journalists, for instance, and saying, like, yeah, we created this work and it was sold. What do you think about it? And the snowball began. And we had like one article, two articles. And then in the end, Christie contacted us for this auction. And so by the, by, uh, the end of August, uh, there was like a press release uh, saying that uh, there will be this work at auction on, uh, in end of October 2018. And, uh, but it was like uh, on the Time magazine and on a big famous uh, news outlet like this. And so, at the, uh, and so at this moment, everything blew up. Fast forward and we're at the auction. Two hundred thousand with Sonia on our left at two million two hundred. It's like uh, I would compare it to like a, a boxing match. 
like uh, everything leads, leads up to this moment and in this moment in the next 10 minutes everything is going to be uh, to be decided so our artwork was the last piece to be auctioned in this session so basically you were you had like uh, 30 works before us and uh, the works were by uh, Andy Warhol uh, were by like really 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 famous artists uh, Jeff Koons and things like this the auction is actually really quick so for each work you have like something along like uh, 30 seconds per work but for our work which was the last one it took like something like 10 minutes so it started at uh, $7,000 and it ended up at uh, at $350,000 and so when it passed 100000 we were like okay now uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen the bids kept coming until it sold for $350,000. And when Christie's added its fees, we're talking about $452,000. That's half a million bucks. A first for generative art. And how did that feel when that hammer hit? So when that hammer hit, it was like big relief, I would say. Relief? What was the concern? Isn't that the dream of every artist to say, hey, our work is incredibly well-valued? Yeah, but for you, you have to put it into in, to context, I guess. Like if you do art for 40 years and then you build up your career, you do different shows and you are, you are like really committed to it. But we just started six months ago and for us, it was way too much to way too much attention for the thing we did, you know? We didn't believe we had the we had the credit to do so, you know, because uh, it's like uh, the imposter syndrome, you know, like uh, you think that you don't deserve what's happening to you because it's too much uh, compared to what you did. It felt really, really bad, actually, because uh, it was way too much uh, at because we started like six months ago and we never thought that uh, we had like uh, this type of attention. Uh, six months after we we just began being artists, it was really weird at first because uh, it's like okay, it's cool, but uh, isn't that a bit too much? You know, like uh, it uh, it's so much at one moment that uh, it's just too much. Imposter syndrome. Wow. Sure, obvious may have taken the fast lane to the high art auction world, tweaking away at the parameters, iterating over and over, and finally in their moment of triumph. A sense of doubt? Heavy stuff. And Hugo wasn't even there to stress about it in person. He was in bed with a broken leg when this historical moment happened. A historical moment he helped birth. And so I have like something on my whole right leg which uh, keeps me from bending my leg. And so I can walk, but like uh, really, really slowly without bending the knee. So when the hammer hit, I, ju uh, I still jumped out of the bed, you know, but I was not able to like uh, jump high or something like this. I was just like on one feet. And uh, so I called, uh, I called Pierre and Gautier right away and we were like, uh, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, uh, what the fuck happened, you know? Hugo's co-founders fled the auction hall pretty much immediately after the sale. They didn't even want the attention. It didn't feel... Right. So they took the first flight out of JFK and back to Paris. And so 
they had to like kind of uh, get out of the building because there was there was like a journalist trying to come uh, to come to them and try to interview them and they just wanted to stay quiet and so and then so I was home with my mom and we're like okay I just sold a piece of work for 350,000 we were uh, so fresh uh, so fresh in the art market so we were uh, uh, we created our collective just six months ago so for us it was like a, uh, it was a, a way too big success that we could anticipate and also with the press release and all the articles about us not everybody not everybody was saying that our work was good and so we had lots of uh, art experts or people like this saying that our work is bad and in the end we just uh, it was just our first art project so we didn't really want it to be uh, so much under the spotlight but uh, it's still really weird to be a judge to this to this level and by so many people just on one work. This is one of the biggest controversies of the piece, and it was actually rooted way back at the start of the process. For the portrait of Edmund Bellamy to come to existence, the obvious team started with a base scan algorithm they picked up online. Remember, we talked about this a little bit. It was developed by a different AI artist and programmer who uploaded his code as open source, meaning anyone could download it and use it. And that's not to say that Obvious didn't alter or update it. They most certainly did. But most open source code doesn't result in hundreds of thousands of dollars in an auction, especially as original art. It definitely caused a little bit of saltiness towards the Obvious team. And this brings me to a question that goes back to a foundational issue surrounding generative art. Not only is it art, but who is the artist? Take that one step further, who owns the art? Does the computer own it? Does the person who wrote the code for the algorithm own it? Do you, as the go-getter who pushed the start button? So much early research and development on the internet featured open source software code. It was all free. Much of it was built by collaborative programmers. They were finding new ways for us to connect, get things done, and innovate. But what happens when that open source code leads to someone getting rich? Who claims ownership and over what? Is it the code that built the algorithm versus the final product that the algorithm created? If it's your computer, do you also own the art it made? If you own the camera, do you own the photograph? Let's phone our friend, Dr. Ahmed. Professor, how do you address this issue of how Obvious created their art piece? So basically, they basically used um, an open source code for GAN uh, that has been around uh, for at least uh, three years at the time or four years at the time. Open source means that it belongs to everybody? So like, is that stealing? Somebody else writes the code, you get the big check? I don't see anything wrong with that um, uh, because at the end, I mean, uh, art is in the process. Art is uh, not the final outcome that you see in the wall. Art is what is the process that the artist takes to create that um, uh, art. So as an artist uh, yourself, if you take uh, open source code uh, and integrate it into your process, uh, that's perfectly fine. I, 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 as long as you are transparent about that in describing what what, uh, what what are you using. So basically, you can as an artist, you can claim anything as an art. You can just find anything in the streets 
make a sculpture out of it and, and say it's art. It's perfectly fine, the art world, right? Because art world is about what is your concept behind it? What, what do you want to say? In the scientific community, it's very different. Open source is open source. And, and when you use an open source, you expect that you uh, credit um, that it's open source and, and you don't go and sell that open source uh, outcome. And that's what's created the problem. If you think about it, everyone has influences. Kanye's beats are jam-packed with samples, as in pieces of music from other artists' songs. They're changed and distorted to fit his songs in a new way. That's creativity 101. That's why they say steal like an artist, right? When I look at it, um, humans also do that all the time, uh, unconsciously. Because as, as an artist, um, if you're going to create a painting, um, you can create a painting for, for your imagination, yes, but uh, you're digesting all art that you see every day in museums and books and things like that, and all that get digested in your brain and used in, in what you are going to do. So unconsciously, you're still using other uh, other uh, uh, people work in an in a, in indirect way. You might be conscious about it or might not be conscious about it, but it is the case also for humans. It's, it's just in, in, in AI, it becomes very clear that this is happening. So what about in this case or with GAN's art in general? Are the artists stealing from other artists or from a computer? Well, it might all depend on your definition of what makes an artist. Is it the tool or the mind behind it? Whether that tool is a camera or a superficially intelligent computer, Hugo and his co-founders were sensitive to this, even if it meant taking some heat from critics and the AI community. In order to, to have a visual key, that we used AI to uh, create this piece. We signed not with Pierre Hugo and Gauthier, we signed with the mathematical formula that is at the core of the algorithm in order to have like a visual key that uh, we use this type of algorithm to uh, create this piece. And also to ask the question, when you create with AI, who is the, who is the artist? Now we have some answer to that, but at, at that moment, we didn't have any answer to that and we wanted to open that debate. So where do you think this is all headed? What is your prediction in the future? Say 30, 40, 50 years far out. How does generative art evolve? How does it change the world? As a researcher in machine learning, there are more papers, more research papers than ever in this field. And so there are new algorithms that are being invented uh, every day. And so this field is really, is really blooming. And so if this current trade continues, uh, then it's bound to happen that we have more and more generative art tools for creatives. I imagine the future, this will really become a very interesting way of creating images. Just write down what you want and, and to be very general to the point that you don't no longer need a photo shoot. So you can just describe I, what you want. I want an image of an, a blue elephant in my living room. AI will be able to generate that with a very good quality, um, photorealistic or artistic or stylized. And, and that opened the door of many, many uh, interesting way of um, generating things. Uh, so uh, you can use text, you can use um, other some media to, to drive another media. It's, the future is, is, is very amazing here when um, AI is used also as a, as a partner in your creative process, whether you are writing a novel or an article or, or uh, making music or making uh, uh, art. Uh, if you have uh, AI in your fingertip that, that you really instruct to, to generate things for you, that's amazing. 
pretty incredible stuff. The future looks bright for generative art. And while we're sure to see more and more AI creativity, what does that say about us as humans? On one hand, we debate over what makes authentic human-made art. Who copied who? Is this person's style completely cribbed from some other artist's work? And does one artist deserve recognition over another? But what if it becomes human versus machine? What if it becomes human versus AI art? Different styles and inspiration can breed new cool ways to look at the world through art. But there may come a day where we're so impressed by the art that the algorithms make that we mere humans lose the inspiration to make art and we just stop being creative altogether. Maybe machines will be so good at making art that we won't even be needed for our art at all. What will we do then? For now, we're still focused on our very human reactions to artistry, whether made by a machine or by a human. Maybe what it all means is that the past, present, or future art is anything made by any means that we as a society subjectively just put value on. And so if that avocado toast and that latte hits different during the golden hour, go ahead, babe, take that pic and post it. Heck, tag hashtag SSBTPod on your rad new art so we can see your masterpiece. Today's episode was hosted by me, Mohan M. Zanuzi, produced by Kareen Javier and Lee Schneider, written by Ibrahim Belki, exec produced by Steph Wolf, music by Oovra. <laughs> Thank you to our dear friends, Hugo and Ahmed. You can find more Same Same on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your ear candy. Thanks for listening. Spread love. This episode was brought to you in part by BCG Digital Ventures. BCG DV builds revolutionary new businesses with the world's most influential corporations. Learn more at bcgdv.com.